Here we are. We're back. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for downloads, the subscriptions. We're so excited about the growth. Hope you all are loving the guests, the diversity and topics from the music to the athletics, to the military, to the lifestyle. Today, we are staying in the alcohol spirits industry, I would call it. It's more, I think it's more complex than that, more sophisticated than that. We're going to talk about wine. Today's episode, though, even though we're talking about wine, is brought to you by Two Spirits Company, the number one whiskey in the world, Tennessee, Lynchburg, Tennessee, the iconic brand of Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey. Thank you, Jack Daniels for supporting conservation, hunting, fishing, providing, living off the land. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking, but take Jack with you wherever you go. Camping, duck camp, celebrations. They're there. He's there for the sad times. Whenever we've needed Jack, he's been there. But again, moderation, be responsible, and never allow underage drinking. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friend straight out of the wine capital of the world, the Napa Valley of California, Hunter Glen Vineyards and Winery, HG. And that is who we are going to put into uh, pretty much every one of our cooking segments from here on out. I'm loving the Merlot. A lot of my friends love the, the Chardonnay. We're liking all of the Cabernet Francs that we are drinking. We're going to learn about all of this today because joining me on the podcast, this episode today, we have Jeffrey and Caroline Shiflett from HG Hunter Glen Wines and Vineyard. I'm excited to have them. We're new friends. We're fast friends. We have a lot in common. We all love to hunt and fish. Caroline doesn't pull the trigger, but she loves to eat wild game and fish. Jeffrey, Caroline, welcome. Hey, thank you, Chad. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, Caroline, when you uh, talk about, I, I just get this feeling that you and your brother are really close and it takes close siblings to go into business together. You're very proud of him for what he's, what he's done with the land and how he lives his life and his approach to this. Give me a little bit of that thought process of um, when you look at Jeffrey, when you think about what he's doing, you having, you know, the, the ideas and the vision of, of growing this brand through your marketing expertise and your sales experience. What do you think of as your brother, as far as his overall presence in the wine field, his winemaking abilities. Talk to me a little bit about your brother, Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm obviously very proud of him. I think one word to describe him best is unassuming. He is incredibly humble. Um, and as a, a farmer and a winemaker, I think he just has an incredible gut instinct that I really admire. You know, we've built this brand uh, slowly but steadily over the past coming on eight years. And um, it's really been about, you know, not only trial and error, but just that gut instinct and trusting um, what we think is the best possible wine that we can put in that bottle and share with our friends and family and beyond. And you think that that has a lot to do with his expertise of the land and his ability to grow a grape, fill a grape, taste the grape and know when to pick that grape and start the bottling or the process of making the actual wine? Yeah. I mean, you know, our family's been growing grapes for over 40 years here in the Napa Valley. We grew up in this area. Um, our family's ranch, we've spent summers and holidays and we've, you know, walked every inch of this land. Um, and I think, you know, Jeffrey's not formally trained in any way. We've, we've learned everything that we've been doing on the job, him in particular. And I think just, again, that gut instinct is what's really been able to drive it, um, all the way through for us. And when you look at this bottle sitting here in front of you, there's five bottles to be exact, but you see the logo on it. When you see that, um, 
talk to me about the pride factor, Jeffrey, of listening to what your sister says, the way that your family looks at what your abilities are. She even used the term unassuming, which when I got out of the truck and I saw you, I thought you might've been like the ranch hand, you know, like you're dressed, you look <laughs> yeah. like a cattle rancher with your hat and in your, in your pants and your Carhartt vest and everything that you're wearing. What does it mean to you to hear those words from your sister, Caroline, and then look at that bottle and see that logo eight years into this? Is it a ton of pride and exuberation? How do you feel about it? Yeah, well, thank you, Caroline. I I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, give a little credit to Caroline. We work very well together. She lets me kind of be myself, but also encourages me to push a little bit out of my boundaries, which gets us to where we should be. I mean, this bottle means everything to us. We've, it's only been eight years of in production, but we've been working on this our whole lives growing up here, being together, you know, we're 18 months apart. So everything we've done has always been together. And I think that's why we wanted to create this company together to really continue that relationship in our personal lives and work now. Why give me a rundown of this area? Why this area? When, when did the explosion occur and why did it occur here? Is it all to do with the topography and the soils or was it somebody that just said, Hey, I'm going to go out on a, on a, on a limb or a vine and try this. I mean, why did it explode in this part of the country out of all places in America? I mean, I think the Valley is very important. Um, Nap Valley is about 30 miles long, touching the San Pablo Bay on the southern end, going up towards Calistoga on the northern end. And the, the shape of the valley determines different weather characteristics. In the southern end, you're getting more of that bay influence, so the diurnal temperatures between night and day are changing more than up north, and so that determines that we're growing Chardonnay and Pinots down on the southern end, and the hotter you know, more narrow valleys up in the north is kind of where the Cabernets and Zinfandels are coming from because they're hotter and need a little bit more of that heat to get through the ripening. And as far as the overall reasoning of the explosion of wine in America, it's got, it's the number one place in the country, right? I know there's other places that grow it. I know in Washington, they grow the grapes. I know in Santa Barbara, and I'm, I'm sure there's tons of places. You could probably educate me on that, I'm sure. But is is this safe to say that this is the number one wine producing area in the country? And then where does it rank in the world of wine production? I mean, yes, in the country, I would say it's number one. Everyone's going to have their opinion of where they're from and why it's better. But I think... It certainly put California wine on the map. I mean, Napa Valley really started to make a name for itself in the late 70s, uh, competing with all the old world wines that were, you know, more fashionable, more popular at the time. And I think, you know, really the judgment of Paris when a Napa Valley wine beat a French wine in a blind tasting realized and, and made the world realize that we had something to offer that was just as good, if not better, than what, you know, other regions had been making. And just from there, I mean, it's been a small community that's grown into a larger community of people that are, you know, multi-generational families that are still making wine here in the Valley and really just, you know, being stewards of the land to really showcase. Yeah, I think it started with the farmers. And that's one aspect that I really love is it, it is about the land. And the farmers who were here first knew what they had, and then it was broadcasted to the world from there. You guys have a connection to the area through generations and family, owning land here, growing grapes here. You said 40 years. Can a new person come in here 
and develop a brand and grow grapes and get into the wine business? Or is that out of the question now, unless you just have either a ton of money or a connection or, you know, the generational deal. It seems to me like with that, when you said that the size of this Valley, there's not a whole lot of room left, is there? Yeah. There's not really any developable, developable land left out there. Um, that being said, anyone can buy bulk wine or juice or grapes and put their own label on it and sell wine and be a wine maker. You can. Yeah. I mean, there, and, and people and are I, doing that. They're coming from all over. Um, creating brands, but I think, you know, where you're starting to see the shift and the divide is coming back to those family farms and the multi-generational families that have a true story to tell beyond just wine in a bottle. Um, and, and we really want to make sure that we're sharing that story and, and pushing that legacy forward. What is it about the explosion of has wine always been famous and popular in the United States and the continent of the United States? I know it was in Europe and where and you call the old country, the old land of, of, of France and in Spain and where wine was grown for hundreds of years, but or where the grapes were grown for wine. Has it always been a sought after drink or accompanying it to a dish or a meal, or you go to a bar. Now you have wine bars all over. You have wines offered in every bar in America and restaurants. It seems like it's a, a very, um, sought after lifestyle now of wine. It's, it's more popular than it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, I think wine has not intrinsically been a part of the American culture the way it is for France or Italy or Spain. Like they're used to having wine with meals, you know, for ages. And that's definitely not necessarily something that I don't think America has really known until more recently. Yes, there's, you know, an explosion in popularity. There's more choice. You know, you used, it used to be jug wine and that's what <laughs> red people, or white. Red, yeah, it was red or white, you know, Chablis or Claret, I think was the, the red that, um, was sold in jugs and it was generic and it didn't necessarily have a story to it. Um, and I think there's just so much nuance now to the wine industry and you can go down a rabbit hole of um, really getting into, you know, so many different aspects of it. And I, I love that about it. I think that's why we started our brand is that we, you know, we grew up in Napa. Our family's been growing grapes. It's literally been in our blood for our entire lives, but we did need to separate ourselves a little bit to have an appreciation for it. You know, we both went away to college outside of, of California, came back and really started thinking about what it is we like about, you know, wine and food and community and bringing people together. And I think that's one of my favorite aspects of this business is just the interconnectivity of it and the community. And it's such an enjoyable product that, um, you know, it makes it fun. Ray Particelli from Napa Valley Olive made a comment, um, Napa Valley Olive Oil Company made a comment about the American Heart Association deemed olive oil healthier for cooking back, I don't remember what year it was, but a lot of Americans were cooking with butter or other ways of getting their food sautéed or fried or whatever. When that happened, there was a big explosion of olive oil. Um, the health benefits of wine, is it a rumor? Is it truly healthy? Is it a better way to get um, your buzz on, um, you know, for your heart or for your blood, or is it true? Or do you know anything on that aspect of wine? Certainly don't want to make any claims. We're not <laughs> in the medical field I think field it really whatsoever. comes down to moderation. <laughs> yeah. You know. 
everything's um, good for you in moderation. There um, are compounds in red wine that are, you know, supposedly healthier, but again, in small quantities um, because the alcohol that goes along with it is not necessarily. How many days a, a year, aspect. Caroline, would you say you touch wine to your lips? Oh man! It's just On a question. Are you my doctor? <laughs> it's just a question. I'm just wondering because you guys are both in good shape. You're both healthy, and you you're living this life of wine where people are coming in and out of here daily, tasting wine, buying wine. Um, you're tasting grapes. You're tasting different selections. Um, it's is it okay to drink wine every day? I'm trying to figure it out because I love this HG Merlot. I want to drink it every day. Um, is it okay? I know yeah, moderation I mean, is a big part moder- of it. Moderation. I I would say I have wine probably four or five nights a week. Um, with meals. Yeah. I mean, start without with and ice then cream. move into <laughs> Sitting on the porch at first the and, porch. Then, yeah. and then going to dinner and exactly. then one after. Um, yeah. I, it, all about moderation. Um, and it, it's meant to be enjoyed, but make sure you know what you're tasting. Like, are you getting enjoyment out of it or are you just seeking that buzz? Because those are two different things. So we've been talking a little bit about the Justin Timberlake song, Bringing Sexy Back. <laughs> we've also been talking about Paul Giamatti and the movie Sideways. It's probably a decade old, if not, or if not more, more now. I think more than that More than that. It's crazy how fast time goes by. Yeah. yeah. That movie was kind of responsible for the downfall of Merlot, per se. Um, your Merlot's on a different level. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I really mean that. Like, it's legit, legit. People need to get a bottle of this Merlot ASAP, stat. What is, what's going on with it? Why is it different? Why are you guys on? You really did tell me, and you you made the comment. That's why I thought of the Justin Timberlake song. Caroline said, we're bringing Merlot back. Are you? Is this Merlot the best you've ever tasted? I mean, it's really good. Talk to me a little bit, Jeffrey, about I, this Merlot. I mean, I think with our my winemaking style is we want to showcase the characteristics of that variety. And so with the Merlot, it's fruity. It's a little bit softer. It's maybe you know more approachable to more people. And we want to showcase that while balancing it with some nice oak and get that structure out of the barrels. And so, yeah, I mean, I think in our style, it might be more approachable to everyone and well, it still holds its own by having the mouthfeel and the body of a full-bore wine. Um, I think sometimes Napa wines can get a little overpowered by the use of French oak, and it just becomes this big, high-alcohol, tannic wine, and we want to be a little bit more on the softer and elegant side. And so making our Merlots, pushing that fruit forward, which I think comes from the Shiflet Ranch, which is our main vineyard source for Merlot. And I think that really speaks highly of the property, the farming, the soils, the, you know, sun aspect, everything comes down to that flavor. Now, when you talk about the ran- the, the farm and the vineyard and the process, take me through it as the farmer. Where is the planting? Where's the cultivation? Where's the harvest? When is all this taking place? Yep. So at Shiflet, we do everything by hand still. Uh, we're not using any mechanical uh, harvesting or anything like that. It's all by hand. We're starting in Early February went the pruning, so we cut off all last year's growth just to the points where we want to grow this year. So we leave two buds per position to grow for this next season. And then we're coming through and suckering, so you make sure you take all the off the extra growth that's come up because they kind of come out like a bush, and then you sucker them down to just two shoots. And then we're going through and pulling leaves. And when we're pulling leaves, we're trying to 
manipulate the sun exposure from each cluster. So we want that dappled light. So we leave a little bit of layer, one layer of leaves. So the sun's coming through and getting that dappled light to get ripening, but we don't want direct sunlight and we don't want direct shade. And then we're coming through and now we're probably into June. So February to June, we're doing those first three uh, tasks and then we're coming into our fruit management pass. So we'll look at the vigor of the vine and kind of decide how much fruit that vine should carry. There's kind of standards based on the trellising system. First wire, second wire, third wire determines how many f clusters of grapes that vine will carry. Um, and that's into kind of late July. And then August, we're going through late July, early August, we're getting into verasion, which is where, um, in the red grapes, it goes from a green berry to a red grape, and so that's when the skin is softening, the sugar is becoming more present in the grape, and we are then kind of just monitoring at that point. We might do one more fruit adjustment based on what um, the vine is looking like. And then for the white wines, we're coming in late August. We're starting to harvest Sauvignon Blancs, a little bit of Chardonnay into early September, starting to pick. Everything's done by hand. We harvest everything at night. So it's uh, two things going there. It's one easier on the cruise because, uh, you know, September in Napa can be 105 and three in the afternoon. So we don't want to make the guys work in those conditions. And so we set up stadium lighting. We're picking everything with headlamps and full lights at night. And then it also... The grapes are colder, which makes them in a better condition to show up to the winery to be processed. So you don't want a hot, soggy grape won't make as good a wine as a nice, crisp, cold berry. Because um, a lot of people are trying to keep the berries intact to go through fermentation as whole berries. And you don't want a big, mushy mess when you start processing. Um, so the red grapes are kind of picked in that, you know, maybe late September, more into October and into late November. Um, picking everything for the reds and then we're shutting the vineyards down after that doing some erosion control measures spreading straw uh, cover crops to replenish some of the nitrogen and nutrients back into the soil and then we're putting it away and everything goes dormant for December. and then jeffrey goes hunting yeah <laughs> and then duck season rolls around and we go uh, disappear for december and january fill the freezer yeah come come back to uh work at the end of january feeling uh revived and ready to go i love it so, Caroline, with all of that said and all the work and passion that goes into that part of it, there's you still got to sell it. We've started with a certain amount of cases. We've grown it to a certain amount of cases. We've made a goal of this many cases, which we've touched on. I'll let you say those numbers. How do you grow a wine brand? How I know you've shipped it to a couple foreign countries. Talk about that a little bit and why. How does that come about? Are there distributors that contact you? Is it all connection-based? But how do you go from that initial case launch to this number that your goal is? You know, it's. Um, I think Jeffrey said this many times even before we, we had wine in bottle but hadn't started selling yet because obviously you need a few years before you're ready to launch. And he said, I'll keep making the wine. You're the one that has to sell it. And it's. Let me tell you, it's easy to make wine. It's hard to sell it. <laughs> it's hard to sell it. Um, there's a lot of competition in this industry. There are endless brands and trying to fight for that shelf space or that, you know, um, placement in the consumer's mind is really challenging. And I think what we have going for us is a legacy and a story that we're trying to tell. You know, we didn't just show up in Napa 
to put our name on a brand. Like we're really trying to showcase, you know, our family's history as grape growers um, and stewards of this land. Our great grandfather came here in 1942 um, and we're fortunate enough to be fourth generation of a family that that's been in Napa, you know, predating many other uh, families. So I think that's one part of it and really just trying to get the story out there. And I think, you know, thanks to you for having us on this podcast, things like this is how we're going to just keep chugging along to get our name out there. Um, and slowly but surely growing. I think a lot of this has been trial by fire and um, we've jumped into things that, uh, you know, maybe in hindsight weren't the best ideas, but we're just kind of trying to figure out our best foot forward. Um, a lot of the distribution, so we're currently in New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, um, New Mexico, and going into Michigan this year. Um, so that's domestic as well as anything we saw in California. And that's been mostly relationships. Um, and, you know, we believe in our product. And I think as soon as we have that opening to get that in front of people, they realize too that this isn't just another wine brand. Like we have some legs to stand on in terms of the quality of our product. And that helps. Um, but yeah, just trying to get get the word out there. We did, like you mentioned, um, Italy. We've just exported our first 30 cases to, and we've also exported to Japan in the past. And that's also just been relationships, um, which we're fortunate to just kind of continue to build on our network. And, you know, it's it's slow going, but bit by bit, we're, we're, we're getting our name out there. We started with 100 cases of a red blend in 2013, and we're now up to about 750 cases. Um, is what we bottled of our 2018s. And I think that goal ultimately is to get to the 10,000 case mark. I think that's where we see ourselves being able to both do this full time, support ourselves, support our families, but still be able to be hands on. And, you know, right now, if you come to taste with us, you're sitting down with Jeffrey or myself. And, you know, that's a pretty unique experience in Napa. Not everyone is going to a wine tasting with the winemaker or the owner. Um, and that's, that's what we can offer you. And we want to be able to continue to do that. Jeffrey's hands-on, like he just mentioned, he's, you know, the vineyard manager for the family by day and making our wine at night. So he's truly touching these grapes from the beginning of the growing season all the way through to putting them in the bottle, making the wine, um, and very hands-on from start to finish. Wow. <laughs> I, was like, I was like almost that's stuck. why I partnered with I her. was mesmerized just now she literally went in the form of my question and hit on every point like she memorized my question and then just that was perfect oh, good thanks. job very good you could tell you know what you're doing with marketing and sales Jeffrey when you think about what it takes to grow a brand and then be the entrepreneur go out on your own you're responsible for your family you do have another job but you have a lot of responsibility here you have her you can't let anybody down you have a responsibility has there ever been a time through the peaks and valleys no pun intended where we're at right now that you wanted to say no more i got a full-time job we're killing it. is it hard to do this with how slow your sister's talking about that it can be <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard we're eight years in and yeah there's been a lot of times but i think this industry gives you that time, like December, when I can slow down, go do something that I love, it really makes me appreciate and realize why I'm doing this. And those little breaks in your daily life that re-energize you, I think, are very important. And kind of like Caroline said, you know, we grew up here. Every summer I worked on the ranch and 
my parents were encouraging to get us out of California for college. So I went to the University of Colorado. I snowboarded for four years. I studied environmental science, didn't do anything with wine. And I think that made me appreciate this industry even more. That ability to go out, see something else, realize how special Napa Valley is and this industry. And so I can't really pinpoint one day that I wanted to just quit. But, you know, I think it's having the ability to take some personal time really re-energizes me to get back at it. Honestly, Caroline, with these bottles sitting in front of us, do you and your you and your husband ever open up another brand of wine or is it always HG because of favoritism, bias? It's your brand. You're the owner. Your brother's the winemaker. Do you drink other wine still? I mean, I have to be honest. Of course I do. There's, like I said, there's, a, there's uh, a world of wine. And that makes us only better as, you know, winemakers and um, winery owners that this industry relies on one another. And I think, like, it all comes back to community. And there's so much to explore and to see. And I think, you know, my husband and I have really greatly enjoyed traveling to other wine regions and going and tasting elsewhere. And I, I mean, that's when I get super excited because then I hear these people talking about their passion and their brands and their wines. And I bring that home with me and I'm, I just am re-energized in that sense. He goes hunting and I travel and, uh, and that's where it makes me super excited to just come back and take anything I learn and apply to, you know, our experience here. I love it. So what do we have for the selection, give me the rundown of the grapes and the selection that HG's offering at this yeah, time. Yeah, of, of course. So uh, we normally start the tastings with our 2018 Sonoma Chardonnay. So this is the only grapes that we source um, from another property. So this comes from the Starscape Vineyard over in the Russian River Valley of Sonoma County, uh, kind of on your way out towards the coast. So we, with this wine, we're really trying to, we call it a Chardonnay for non-Chardonnay drinkers. And so I make it really crisp and acidic and then I you do a little bit of aging to round it out and give it kind of that middle ground between crisp and round and buttery I don't want and it to be a big heavy Chardonnay we want it to be light and approachable by everyone and so we're picking it on the lower side 22 to 23 bricks which is the way they measure sugar and based on uh, the pH as well, which gives us our acid baseline. Everything's made in stainless steel tanks. It's all really slow, cold, controlled fermentation. And then I round it out by doing 50% of the barrels through malolactic fermentation, which is a secondary fermentation where the you add some yeast and it eat, it, it turns the, malic, the lactic acid into malic. No, all the way around. The malic, malic acid, acid into, into lactic acid, <laughs> which kind of softens it and gives it that roundness. And then we age it for nine months in about 20, 20% new French oak barrels. And so you'll kind of taste through it. It's got that kind of minerally crisp acidicness rounded out with some, you know, lemon zest, white flowers on the, the why, back end. Why is it for non-Chardonnay drinkers? I think a lot of people have an aversion to Chardonnay. I do for sure. Yeah. So, you know, you hear people say ABC, I drink anything but Chardonnay. Um, and I love pouring this blind for people because a lot of people don't realize that it is Chardonnay. Because I think people just have in their mind this idea of Chardonnay that it's big and bold and buttery and oaky. And it's just, you know, sometimes undrinkable. A lot of people like that. That is one style of Chardonnay that plenty of people appreciate. But 
they don't realize that Chardonnay has this whole other side to it. And it's really just a stylistic preference of the winemaker and how you're processing it um, to get that different, you know, characteristic. And so it's very approachable. That's why I say it's for people that don't like Chardonnay um, and enjoyable kind of no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Okay. So do we do the Chardonnay the same way you do a red? Yeah, yeah, swirl it around your glass. I've been drinking mine, so I need a little more. <laughs> oh, I thought that was water. <laughs> <laughs> so um, roll it around the glass. Swirl it around, yeah. And that's just loosening up, letting some air get in underneath it and letting the flavors expand, right? Exactly. The oxygen, you know, kind of volatilizes the aromatic compounds, um, increases, uh, you know, the, the aromatics, and um, yeah. You do that good. i got to get that down. <laughs> okay, so your nose goes into the glass. <laughs> Big, deep breath. Kind of get you get that lemon zest, little white florals on the... Do you breathe in through your nose? Or, your, or is it all for aroma right now? So yeah. nothing through your mouth, right? Yep. Tropical flavors, like I think, you know, It really doesn't fruit. even smell like Chardonnay. No. It, it really doesn't. It's that lighter, brighter, more tropical profile, I would say, of Chardonnay. Yeah, it's so good. Like it doesn't have that. I don't know. Chardonnay to me has always had a really, really weird aftertaste to me that I do not enjoy most of the time. Yeah, I think that would be the oak or the what they call the butter character. That's smooth right yeah. there. Yeah, it's, there's no it's aftertaste. Crisp. It's great. No. Like it goes down. Yeah, I don't know. It's so good. But you've got the mouthwatering acidity that just makes you want that next sip. You know, it's just craveable. I think, um, and I love the weight of it. I think it coats your mouth in a way that's really pleasing to me. Um, again, without being in your face. So when we start to pair this kind of wine with food, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> what do we look for, for the menu to go with the Chardonnay? Wine pairings can get tricky because it's all about your own personal preference. Like there are plenty of people that drink red wine with white fish <laughs> or white wine with steak. Um, so I think it's, it's really all about um, personal preference first and foremost. But if I were to pair this, I mean, I think it's wonderful on its own. I think it's wonderful with a lot of cheeses. And I think, you know, obviously fish dishes, um, it complements nicely as well. So pretty versatile. It's a versatile wine. Yeah. So is it okay to drink a Chardonnay with a steak? Oh, yeah. That's what you like. Do you like it with a steak or do you want more of a bold red? I like to start with the whites and then I go towards the reds for kind of to balance that meatiness of a steak with something a little heavier on the wine side. Um, can you, is there, they, they talk about dessert wines. Is, is Chardonnay, can it be considered a, a dessert wine or is that more of your, uh, of your, rosés or your chocolate wines or dessert usually um implies that there's residual sugar in the wine um so this is a dry wine all of our wines are dry um and this would not be considered a um a sweet wine or a dessert wine but um i would say it's there's certain grapes that can be made into it there again it's a stylistic you know change and difference um that people are going after, but residual sugar makes it a little bit sweeter, a little bit more syrupy. And that's typically what's paired with, you know, the dessert courses or cheese courses on the end. That brings up a question that I meant to ask you earlier. Sugar in wine. You hear people talk about the wine hangover. 
is that come from all wines or is that something to do with with the blend and how much sugar is added is there sugar added to wine in the process what makes that wine hangover or that drogginess what happens in that instance as opposed to maybe i don't know and i'm not saying that i get hung over all the time I'm saying that when you don't hear about the beer hangover or a, another kind of spirit that red wine it's, hangover it's that yes. red wine hangover and what it is all that? comes down to consumption too <laughs> in back, moderation. To our, back to our moderation uh, question or point but no i mean it's yeah the more sugar that's in a wine can definitely i think is that all contribute? I think that some people are affected by the sulfur as well. So sulfur is used to stabilize it for shelf uh, storage, and that can affect people as well. I think there's a lot of controversy around sulfites, though. People think, oh, I'm allergic. I, that gives me headaches. I can only drink wine from France because there's no sulfites added. Sulfites are naturally occurring in all wine. They are present in the seeds and the skins of the grapes. So no matter what your wine you're drinking, there's sulfites in it. Um, I think, but then, yeah, some wines may have certain additives. Like, you know, you can't add sugar. That's not allowed in America, um, or at least in California. Yeah, not allowed. Um, but you can add coloring agents. You can add, you know, oak chips. Um, all these kind of shortcuts to make a certain wine. Um, these are typically wines that are on the, the cheaper end of the spectrum because... You know, a new oak barrel costs $1,200, so not every wine can afford to, you know, give some oak profile to a wine that way, so they may chip it or whatever else. And those can all be contributing factors, I think, to just everything that makes up a wine. So I think the, the cleaner the process, you know, the, the lowest intervention, minimal uh, intervention, both in the vineyard and the winery, which is what we try to practice, is probably a safer bet, but... I can't help you if you drink, you know, just entirely too much. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of the social part of wine is like one bottle leads to another bottle. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been there many nights myself. <laughs> that's for sure. It's yeah. so fun, though. It it's is like so It's such a social Well, and that's why we make it to share it with friends and family. You know, we're not trying to be that label that is so expensive or so hard to get that you don't want to open it with friends. You should open a bottle every night someone sits down with you for dinner. It's crazy to me. I have these bottles of wine. I have these bottles of whiskey. And for I'll just tell you what one of them is. I have a, a bottle of the Eric Church Jack Daniels that he did this year with the single barrel. Mm -hmm. And he signed it. And I'm like, I'm going to open this and drink it. I talked to the master distiller. I said, should I open it? He goes, every bottle of whiskey is meant to be open and drink. Yeah. And That's then why I, we're and here. Then I go on the and then I, you go online. And there's people paying $4,000 for an unopened bottle of Eric Church signed Jack Daniels. I'm like, well, maybe I should have opened this <laughs> bottle of whiskey. Like, what's going to be in 10 years? And I right. thought that with baseball cards. And none of my baseball cards are worth anything anymore. But you know what I'm saying? It's like every bottle of wine is meant to be drank, right? Tell me this about wine. Storage temperature and the angle of the, the bottle when you're storing that wine, is it okay to store a corked wine like these are standing straight up? Or do you, I mean, most wine fridges are angled, but some of them are angled in a way to where I don't know if that cork is it because the cork needs moisture not to dry out. Educate exactly. me on that part of wine. Yeah, so you want to keep it. I mean, temperature stability is the number one thing that'll keep a wine or age a wine longer. And um, yeah, so you want it that 50, maybe 55 degrees. Um, the temperature itself is probably less important in the temperature swings. You don't want a wine doing a 10 degree temperature swing every couple se every season or something like that. And yeah, with the corks there, we use all real 
cork. And so it needs to stay wet to kind of keep the seal on the bottle. As it dries out, it'll shrink, and then oxygen would get into the bottle and spoil it. So is it best to lay it flat in a... If your kitchen's not, if you got your your thermostat set to sixty eight to seventy degrees, that's not a safe temperature to store wine on your kitchen counter, is it? It's not ideal, but I think there are those those bottles that you're going to drink within the next couple weeks, and then there are those bottles that you're going to drink over the next couple months or years. And you know, the longer you keep a wine around, the longer it should be properly stored on its side and temperature control. I mean, just like olive oil, you don't want to keep your wine next to the stove, you know, or in sunlight or, you know, certain things like that, that you can help mitigate, um, the, the effects of certain, you know, elements, but it's perfectly fine to keep wine in your kitchen as you're popping those bottles, you know, on a weekly basis. I'm worried a little bit. I think I have a couple of bottles that I've been storing in the wrong, wrong, wrong <laughs> upright. <laughs> well, not upright, but maybe a little sun exposure. Maybe yeah. I mean, that would not that would not be ideal. The yeah, it's hard because you want to present them and showcase them, but they need. To I don't want to be of... a wine snob, but like I told the olive oil family, the Parcelli's at Napa Valley, I'm like, I look at that bottle, and as as, as simple as their logo and their their label is, and as simple as your logo is. I love having the HG stuff to be seen. I love having that olive oil in the view of the of the of my friends and family that walk through my kitchen or yeah. when we're cooking, right? And socializing. There's some brands that you take pride in to where I've never had an olive oil that I want to leave out on the counter. <laughs> and with the HG wine, I have it like I want to call you guys and go, hey. I need some magnums. Like I want some badass prop <laughs> we've got, bottles. We've got those coming for uh, yeah, you. Yeah, like so. I want some magnum bottles. I want to be able to showcase it. Like I'm proud of it. Like I think it's yeah. good wine. I love your guys' story. So like that's the thing I'm wondering is like, man, maybe I messed up some of this wine that I have that I've been storing the wrong way. When we say, you know, that it should be on its side, we're talking years for ten, it to really. You're trying to 10-year age a bottle. Like the, for the cork to dry out and for any oxygen to get in, it would take years. Oh, really? Yeah. So not months. No. Not months. No. No. Real, okay, then that's a little bit really. Yeah, if you're if you're not keeping things for more than a year, you're, you know, it's. I would say sunlight is definitely not ideal, um, first and foremost, and yeah, just kind of trying to keep it as consistent as possible. Very good, very good. So this is the Chardonnay, and I'm very impressed. Like for real, like this is so much different than. I'm a total red wine favorer. Like I yeah. do not like white wine. I've always told people, like my buddy Jim Ray, who is a, he used to have a wine shop before yeah. the recession hit in 2007 and 8, and then Costco kind of really grew their wine selection and offering, um, but knows a lot about wine. Like he, when you started talking, I'm like, man, he sounds like Jim, because Jim's like, these grapes, those grapes, whatever. Yeah. Um, he loves white wine. He's always cooking with a glass of white wine. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> you like to go straight to the red. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you drinking that? And he's like, it's good. Yeah. I gave him a bottle of your Chardonnay. And he's like, it's good. I wouldn't even try it. And then my my assistant, Jen, she's like, you got to try it. Yeah. And I'm like, it's freaking good. Like, it's freaking good <laughs> well, white wine. Yeah. So and now, I was now, kind of that way, too. I was originally only red drinker. And now, you know, with my Chardonnay, we I love to drink it. And it's kind of expanded me to realize that there's a time and place to drink everything. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm becoming a fan. I'm in my 40s, and I'm becoming a fan of Chardonnay. It's weird. Like I'm just like Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's only happened the last 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> it really it's like, all about hundred Chardonnay. Yeah, it's hundred Chardonnay. Chardonnay. And it's, and it's so affordable. <laughs> yeah, it's such. A, it's thirty dollars at retail, right? Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. You can get this wine online at hunterglen.com. Yeah. Is that the, I, I would just make sure I got it right. Yeah. Hunterglen.com with two ends. Yep. And the, the Chardonnay is $30 a bottle and it's a great wine for, you know, just drinking or pairing with meals. I don't, I don't know why I'm so into pairing. I've learned to pair. I want to learn to pair. It heightens the experience for sure. Like there's no doubt about it when you have that like epic pairing that just elevates both the food and the wine. And then when they're together, it's magical. So I, I totally hear you on that. If you take that speckle belly, the way that we do speckle bellies, and you guys, I don't know if you've seen any. I've seen it, yeah, on the Traeger. And it's, it's like I just freestyle, right? I try Mm -hmm. different things, but I always. So the speckle belly is my number one go-to for wild game. It's better than elk backstrap. It's better than axis deer. It's better than whitetail. It's better than anything I've ever eaten. I'll take it over almost any fish. Um, I love California rice specks. Yeah. Um, but the Merlot with specks, the way that we cook them, and if you have the right vegetable company in the spec, and you have the right starch can be tricky with specs because a lot of people like like a brown rice with maybe a hunter gravy on it with specs i have to taste the meat yeah. mm-hmm. i don't need a lot of marinade i don't need a gravy on it my friend mike parker makes an unbelievable cherry reduction sauce a raspberry and a blueberry reduction sauce mm-hmm. for spec and it's awesome don't get me wrong but it's already sweet enough for me but that merlot when you pair your merlot with that spec which i've done with stefano and i've done it on my own several times because I'm a Merlot, an HG Merlot snob. Like, I hide it from people. <laughs> they can come over and drink the Cabernet Franc before they're going to drink the yeah. Merlot. Yeah. And I, with this, I'm telling you, with spe- California Specs, with that California HG Merlot, is probably the best meal you could have right now. That's awesome. It's so good. And we have this new brand that we're launching. We just launched it two weeks ago called American Almond Beef. Almond Beef. Almond Beef. <laughs> I get in trouble. On the tree they, or off the tree, They right? say they knocked the ale out of yeah. it or whatever. <laughs> Um, I'm very humbled and blessed to be a part of this, but, and I promise you, I'm going to send you guys some in, in the next week, or if you come up next week, I'll send you home with some. It's the best filet mignon I've ever tasted. Yeah. Uh, the prime rib bone in or bone out. So good. The New York strips, the, 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 I, I, we have flank steaks, the carne asada, cool. our, our, our ribeyes bone in or without bone are so good. And it's, it's like this proprietary blend of feed that these guys that I'll introduce you to next mm-hmm. week mastered. They're in the commodity business, and they're finishing our steers from 900 to 1,300 pounds last 100 to 120 days of their life before they go to slaughter. And the the marbling in the meat is freaking – it's different. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that huh. filet mignon the night before last, I did six of them up in Chico, and we paired it with the Cabernet Franc with the, the red meat with like a legit steak. Yeah. And I'm talking like perfection. I had a 22-year-old kid there named Riley Haw. He's like – this is unbelievable. He's drinking the wine. He's eating the flame. But it's that's also what you're saying, though. It's, it's the experience, the experience, right? But she's saying that it makes it, it, it elevates it. It, it, it elevates it. Yeah, right? I mean, everything you're saying. And I think just, you know, anytime you drink a wine, I think you, you're you thrown back to that place that you either first experienced it or, um, you know, the, the enjoyment that you're having with others and the food. And it just all comes together. And it it's amazing. I think that's the word to explain it <laughs> but i'm a i'm a really I, I don't know if i'm a snob now because like when i hunt i want to hunt specks and i want to hunt mallards and i want to eat mallards <laughs> and i want to eat specks i love to hunt canada geese 
Okay, I'm not saying I won't go hunt another duck, but when it comes to like the table fare, yeah. I, I'm getting to that point where I, I know what I want and I know how to, I, I want to learn how to pair foods. And I think people specialize into it and they might get a little bit too detailed for me of like, ah, it's going a little bit too far. I don't think I need to take it that far. I just like the way that it tastes together. Yeah. And it, you can't have enough good meals like that. Like when you can get the right wine around the right duck that you harvested and you honed your skill set to go out and be able to scout and create a decoy spread and create realism on the water and to call and vocalize and speak that language of, or that jargon, my hat, no, no pun intended, but like if you hone that skill set and then you can take it to another level and the sustainability of the soil that your family's been on for 40 years and you're growing these grapes and you're mastering it and you're picking these grapes and you're, you're making this wine and then you pair it with a duck or a deer that you went out and with that skill set, think about how badass that yeah. life is. Yeah. Your skill sets are all just coming together in this melting pot of like, you skill can't sets get, and, passions, and passion, which I think is like the ultimate combination, the ultimate combination. Yeah. And you, the, the passion is what takes you to the point of developing those skill sets to the, to that level of, I can go and hunt and I can ethically harvest this animal. I can butcher it. I can process it. And then I can put it on the table with the wine that I made yeah. off of the grapes that I grew. Holy shit. That's the, as cool as it gets. Farm to table. Man, yeah. I'm jealous. Like I thought I was doing all right living off the land, but you're like doubling up on yeah, it. Yeah, try, trying. I love it. Congrats. All right. So we're moving on to the red, the, what you call the red. The red blend. Yep. The red so this blend. is our, uh, which is actually already in your glass. So we, uh, I don't think there's enough in here for a taste. Okay. Of the <laughs> Caroline. A bit. So yeah, this is our red blend. This is what Good, we started with you. in 2013, first wine. And in the beginning, it was really all about, you know, what grapes we could get our hands on. Um, so it was a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the blends change from year to year. This is our 2017, which is 50% Cabernet Sauvignon, 30% Merlot, and 20% Cabernet Franc. Um, all entirely from Shiflet Ranch and Vineyards, which is our family's property where Jeffrey is the vineyard manager. And that's one of our prominent uh, grape sources at this time. So so yeah. you can't call this any of those three you just named. Correct. You can call it a red blend because it's blended with those three grapes. Even though it has Merlot in it, it cannot be labeled a Merlot because it's not 100% Merlot grapes. Is that the California lawmaking of the wine world? Correct. That's how it works? Yeah. So it has to be at least 75%, 75%. of one particular grape um, in order to put that on the label. So it has to be 75% of a Merlot grape to be considered Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Correct. Cabernet uh, Franc. Franc. Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. yeah. Cabernet Franc, which we'll get to, which is an unbelievable wine also. I think it's probably the consensus in my group, their favorite mm. for the last 60 days. I really say I'm yeah. being for real. I think that's their favorite. But is it because it's hard to find? It's I've heard definitely that it's a niche grape. I think people love it or hate it. It's There's mostly not a used lot. for blending to kind of bring a little bit of structure into other wines. Um, but you've mastered it on its own. We'll get to that. Let's try this. <laughs> Let's try this. I got to hear the story of that later. So, yeah, I think this wine and the Chardonnay really meant to be our everyday drinking kind of foundational wine, something we've offered since the beginning of us making wine together. Um, something that you can enjoy, you know often it's not something that we want you to necessarily like save for a special occasion um but really i also see this friendly. as a great table wine food friendly mm -hmm. right it's really food friendly this needs yeah. to be poured into clear jugs <laughs> and put on every basket <laughs> yeah it's so good it's just smooth right yeah 
Yeah, and I think if you just take a note of the color of this wine, um, you'll see across all our red wines, I think it speaks of this ranch and the soils that we have. They're all kind of that same garnet ruby color. Um, the color goes, there's not really a huge watery ring around it. The color goes all the way through to the end of the glass. I was just going to say that and don't take this the same way, but it almost is looks like blood. Yeah. It is that yeah. legit color. Like there's no clarity as far as like that water ring that you see on some reds. Yeah, it just goes all the way to the end of the glass, which... Uh, is kind of unique and all of our reds are that same general color have you tried this tyson tyson's over here like i can tell when his mouth's watering because i can see his tongue kind of hanging out pour some tyson here's yeah. a glass right here try this red i don't know if ty drinks wine but there's try that right there our producer ty tyson waldron's looking at us like you sons of how are you going to do that right in front of me Well, man, yeah, and again, back legit. to the, you know, the price point at 45, we want this to be approachable. You know, maybe it's not your daily drinker, but, you know, you shouldn't have a worry of opening this to share with friends and family. No, I, and it's uh, like what your sister Caroline just said. It's like so good for food, too. I, mm -hmm. I know, like, I love the Merlot, and we're going to get to that, but this is a really, really good wine for the price point. Yeah, we hope we're over-delivering. Oh, you are. <laughs> but I still need it in a Magnum bottle. That would be over-delivery. You guys should start a new thing called the Double Magnum, and I'll do the first prototype. Okay. You can just put one of those. You just could spigot put a little tap or spigot. Olive oil spigot right on the end. We went in there and watched watched Jules fill the bottles today. Yeah. That's so It's wild smell. that they still fill in there. It's like that milk crate with a cushion on it. I'm like... <laughs> Is there not a robot that could be doing this? And they're like, this is yeah. That milk what crate's I do. been there for 80 years, something, yeah, it's 60 crazy. years. Yeah, like 1931 or something. Yeah. But nice. that's, I mean, back to, you know, what they're doing, what we're doing, like hand-touched. Um, the, the coolest experience is this might be one of my favorite days of the duck season of going from that to this and yeah. all of the hands-on and like listening to Ray talk about what that you walk into that store and you're like you they say at night when the lights are on you can see the lights coming through the cracks in the walls because it's so oh yeah and he, he made a comment he's like there's stores today that are spending lots of money to get this to look like this <laughs> and we have this yeah. you know it's like a hundred year old building it's Preserve. so awesome yeah and then the flavor of that olive oil come on yeah. yeah do you cook with it a lot yeah we do a lot it's so entirely good. yeah you could do shots of it <laughs> Throw it back. Okay, so this okay. this is called the Red Blend online, forty five dollars a bottle, and it can be it can be your everyday go to, everyday go to. I like it. So I can't get over the color now that you mentioned. That's good. Yeah. Well, bottoms up. Let's go to the Merlot. Ooh. What do you say? <laughs> bottoms up. No, the other one. Uh, <laughs> clear it. Clear it. <laughs> clear it. Time for the Merlot. Tyson didn't clear his. He's over there. Oh, oh, yeah, I think sorry. he was swiping right or whatever you do. <laughs> I know that's what Ty's doing right now. <laughs> I can't. Uh-oh. Caroline needs a dump bucket. <laughs> no, I just have to take smaller steps. Yeah. So on to your favorite. Merlot. And so now with the next three wines. We're going Merlot next. Now, is this going in the price? Correct. Price. So 
Merlot, Cab Franc, and Cabernet Sauvignon will be next. Um, and you can see with these different labels, kind of the, the mindset. So another thing to mention, Caroline's husband, Jared, does all of our design. So Beautiful. we really try and use family and friends to create everything. He's a graphic designer. Only on by side. hobby. <laughs> Only by hobby. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so with these, we're kind of, they're supposed to be like a book spine. So like a leather bound book that you can kind of line up in a oh, library yeah, yeah. and uh, keep together. I do. Um, this is our first time releasing these three wines. So our 2017, we've been sitting on these for three years now, over three years. Um, and we just released these in the fall. So this is our first kind of you know, first time releasing this package, um, which we're super excited about. First time ever making a Merlot, actually, and also first time making a Cabernet Sauvignon. We made a little bit of Cab Franc in 2014. So excited to get back into, into that and present these three wines together for the first time. So we're presenting them together for the first time, but let's not forget about how we talked 20, 30 minutes ago about bringing sexy back. Bringing Merlot back. What... What happened to Merlot? Is it because of that movie 100% or did it just get saturated in the market because there was so many, so much of it out there? Or was there so many grapes that they got just people made an abundance of Merlot and people got tired of it? I think it's a combination. I mean, um, you know, Merlot's been a, a huge part of Bordeaux varieties and or Bordeaux um, blends and um, has yeah, been a so very important grape for the industry. And I think there probably was, you know, an abundance of it and an abundance of maybe not particularly well-made Merlot. Um, and then, you know, sideways probably didn't, didn't help. <laughs> People that have good. probably never even had a Merlot just kind of heard the name. Wrote it off yeah, after that. Saw the movie and thought, well, I'm not going to start there with my wine adventures. But You know, they called him Pig Vomit in the Howard Stern movie. <laughs> Same actor, <laughs> yeah. Paul, Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. He was pig vomit, and he was the guy that ruined Merlot. Yeah. We need to kick that dude's ass. Yeah. But no, he is a hell of an actor. Here. He sure is. Okay, so give me the rundown if I sit down at a tasting with you, Jeffrey, and you say, here's what my your expectation, or this is going to, I don't want to say exceed my expectations, but what can I expect, and what is it? Is it got the, is it, is it bold? Is it smooth? So I How think with this one, we're really trying to be fruit forward. Um, we want those blue blueberry fruits, kind of raspberry, not that big, heavy, dark red fruits. We don't want plum or any of that. And so we're picking it a little bit on the earlier side compared to our Cabernet Sauvignon, which we let go a little bit riper out on the vine. Um, we want the color to be there. So this is a little bit darker than our red blend, but still kind of that same color all the way through the glass from the middle to the end. Um, we want those aromatics to be kind of fresh and vibrant and fruit forward. Uh, with this wine, we're doing about 33% new French oak on our aging. And that, I feel like the Shiflet Ranch is a very soft wine and you need to balance it with good oak, but you don't want to overpower it. And so oak brings in structure and tannins and mouthfeel to a wine that when it's a soft wine, you need to be very careful. And that's why we only are doing about 33% um, percent new oak on this. Um, For every new barrel, I mean, you blend it with barrels that have been used two to three years, just so you get that balance of like brand new mixed with more neutral. Um, because the newer the barrel, the more oak influence it's going to impart on the wine. And that was the comment you made about the the price the, per barrel. The, the yeah. So if, if someone is using 100% new oak, that means for every vintage, 
you know, however much they're making yeah, every I mean, barrel we, we at 200, 25 at barrels a vintage, um, something like that. So it gets expensive. Are all the barrels I'm looking at right now the woods you're referring to? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so with, with oak, it goes, you get about 70% of the new oak in the one use. So a red wine, one use, we're aging 18 to 20 months, and that would be one use. Um, and then when you age it for this, you know, the second and or the third and fourth year, there's only about 30% life left in that barrel. And then the um, fifth and sixth year would be a neutral, what we call a neutral barrel. And so you're not extracting any oak characteristics. You're just using it as a vessel for storage and they can, you can use them for years and years and years as long as the maintenance is right. And at that point, you're just using it because of the oxygen exchange, which helps in the aging process so the oxygen there's aeration or oxygen oxygenation going through, on during the aging through process through the oak through the oak so it's through breathing. the, wood, the wood's it's breathing. breathing yeah versus concrete stainless steel those are inert vessels that you know don't offer any don't, don't allow breathability breathing yeah. wow that's cool so, interesting cheers cheers <laughs> salute yeah. salute this is the funnest podcast i've ever done <laughs> I think Merlots sometimes maybe have a bad rep because they can be what I <coughs> describe as flabby. They just float away. There's nothing there. And I think ours just has this, again, the acidity is there, the fruit, a um, little bit of tannin and structure, like Jeffrey said. But, you know, it lingers. It's still in my mouth and it's still... Like big time. And, yeah. the, and the aromas linger too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that smells so good in this glass. Mm -hmm. Wait, okay, now I'm not talking smack, but it's... Way different than the red blend. Yeah. This Merlot is legit. <laughs> we should have ended with this one. <laughs> Tyson, you should you should uh, clear that. <laughs> he already did. did. You try He's Merlot? ahead of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you poured the Merlot in his glass. Mm -hmm. Oh. No, we did both. Yeah. He. Isn't came back. that legit? Yeah. So good. It's good. I'm really happy with this one. I'm gonna need a triple magnum of the, so now we got the double and the triple magnums coming. <laughs> I don't know, the. I mean, there's like Jeroboam. <laughs> yeah. They get bigger and bigger. There's something beyond a magnum, and I don't know. Yeah, the there names, is, but... I've seen them. I've seen them on floors at Jim's house, the wine store guy. Yeah. I'm like, what is that thing? He's like, it's a Nebe, yeah, Nebehauser or whatever. Jeroboam. <laughs> is there a shortage on glass for the winemakers for the pandemic? Uh, we haven't experienced You haven't it. experienced I heard um, that They've said things about that, but it hasn't impacted us yet. Okay, good. Because um, I might not, somewhere. because we're so small, also, you know, ordering 700 cases of glass is different than ordering a million cases, maybe. Is there a winemaker that has a million cases? Mm, a bunch of them. Are you serious? Yeah. No. I don't know if they're going to tell you that they're at a million, but those bigger guys, I don't know, Sutter Home, Coppola. Coppola's that big? Between several brands, yeah. That was the first wine club I ever <clears throat> joined. Yeah. I was such a, a, a Godfather fan. I came here <laughs> in like 2004 and joined him and Mario Andretti's wineries. Uh, yeah. And I would just walk, because I loved Mario Andretti, because the, the, obviously the That's Italian right over first, here in the same AVA as us. Yeah, and I, it, I probably spent three hours walking around that place just being like, this is legit. Like yeah. it was cool. Just it was. If I remember right, it was a little yellow, like a yellow house looking building. Yeah, is it still it's just yellow? Just right over here, maybe three miles. 
Yeah, those were the two first wine, the first two wine clubs, and then we got into Robert Mondavi, mm-hmm. and then um, my good family friends in uh, the Caranos had Ferrari Carano in Dry Creek. Um, is that? I think that's where it was. It's, yeah. Um, and they just sold that winery a couple months ago. If I, if I think Rhonda did, but the Caranos own all the casinos, and they're I, we've been family friends with them for our dads were buddies. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but they. They uh, sold that, I think, two or three, four months ago, if I remember right, huh. for Ferrari Corona Winery. I kind of want more Merlot before we move on. But no, no, <laughs> I'm right. just kidding. Take your last I'm sip. Just I'm going to uh, I'm gonna need to get an Uber. Okay. Or you, can I get one with my phone and stay out of your way from right here? He gets mad at me uh, if I try to do it. I've got a chance. Hold on one sec. Can you um, mm-hmm. set the bottle here mm-hmm. with the HG this way, and then I'll and then when I when I point at you when Tyson says go go ahead. Tyson, give me a three two one. Three two one. Beautiful. Good form, bro. I try. With the little twist. I learned that at about seven years old, pouring my parents' glasses of wine. That's so cool. God, what the age of technology we're living in. Oh, I want to show you this picture I took while we're on this podcast. I was like, I don't know if I should send that to them. They might laugh at me. But I showed this to a, uh, I showed this to a wine guy um, in Chico, who's a good friend of mine, he's like, that is effing rad. So I want to get your guys' opinion. I took this the other night. Bear with me for a second, please. Come on. Are we done with the podcast or is this? No, this is all the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is how my podcasts go, Tyson. I like it. Okay, so I took this the other night, Caroline, and your marketing expertise. Okay, you ready? Yeah. This is a... HG wine bottle mm-hmm. with a cork in the in what the spout mm-hmm. behind a wine glass with my Merlot in it. You ready for this? Yeah. This is done by an amateur photographer <laughs> with a brand new iPhone 12. Okay. Oh Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. It's I like love it's in, that. Check it. It's like the bottles in so the I'm glass. Like, like isn't Tom that sick? That. I yeah. swear to God, in my life, I did that. I there. He was there when I did it. I love that. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. God. So I was like going to send that to you guys in high res, and I don't know what you could do with it, but it, the, you could the, be on an Apple commercial. The, for the that. logo is pop. Shot with an iPhone 12. <laughs> the logo is pop. No, I should get some money from <laughs> yes. Apple. I just, you know, include us in that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you, doesn't that a sick ass HG yeah, no. logo popping through that glass? Is, it's awesome. I really, yeah, you should submit that to Apple. I'm serious. I was taking on an Apple 12 <laughs> yeah. Pro Max the day yeah. I got it. Yeah. I just got mine too, but I haven't done anything cool with it like that. And truth be told, I tried to take it again at least for 30 minutes and I never got it again. I'm the like, what picture. the F did I push? <laughs> <laughs> but I got it and I saved it and it's high res. So I'll send it to you guys. All right, cool. I want to print out a poster right there and I'll sign it at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Like a photographer does. Yeah. Fancy. What is this? So this is our Cab Franc. Cab Franc. I'm going to smell it. Oh yeah, Cobb Frog, dude, you need to drive. What are you doing? Oh, who's no? He's not you're gonna drop a. You're gonna drop a camera. Matt, 
We got like five cameras going on this podcast. <laughs> All right. So Cab Franc, kind of this as long, along with the Merlot is kind of what we are going to build our names on. Um, again, sticking true to the true characteristics of the wine. Cab Franc is known to be kind of a good Cab Franc is a little bit herbal. They say, you know, when they talk about Cab Francs, they use the word pyrazines or green, and that's kind of the scary side. We want it to be more lavender and herbal on that um, on that side. I think this is so such a special wine because of where it comes from, and so it's grown at the Shiflet Ranch, and it's a pure, a southern-facing exposure in pure volcanic rock, and so because of that rock exposure on the bottom we're getting radiant heat where the sun is reflecting off the rocks and we get ripening on all angles of the cluster instead of just sun from the top and i think that allows us to really pick it at a lower brick so we really try and keep our alcohols a little bit lower so i don't know how much you know but bricks are the french or the unit used to determine amounts of sugar in the grapes and it's roughly 50 percent 24 degrees bricks is about 12% alcohol in the wine. It's not that simple and it's, but it's close enough. And so we're picking this at 24, maybe 25 bricks, which is allowing us, we're still getting to about 14% alcohol. Um, and I think that again, makes it a little bit more approachable and kind of on that more elegant side, wouldn't you say a little bit softer, a little bit, you know, easier to, to drink. Um, I use the word elegant a lot for all of our wines. I think that's a vein that runs through all of them. They're approachable and elegant. Um, and I think that really just speaks volumes to Jeffrey's winemaking style. Like he wants you to taste the fruit first and foremost, but also what happened in the vineyard that year. And from year to year, that may be different. You know, we're working with a natural product, obviously. We're at the whim of Mother Nature and we're just kind of doing what we can with what she gives us. So, what would a. What would a Webster's Dictionary definition of elegant be? Not verbatim, but what, like you say, you see a dress on a girl. That's very elegant. I think um, classy, like pretty. Okay. The word soft comes to mind. Soft, feminine a little feminine. bit. I think our wines are on the more feminine side. If you were to. She's you know, telling me I shouldn't be drinking these wines. No, really? no. Some, pe- some people say Cabernet Franc is the fem, the you know, feminine sister of Cabernet Sauvignon. Cause it's just a little bit. Not as bold, I would say, and a little bit more approachable. Um, what yeah. is the most what is the most popular wine in the world? Is that a hard question to answer? Because like, I think that's by region. Yeah. Is that I think by region? Napa Valley is known to the world for Napa Cab. Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon. Sauvignon is what Napa is famous for. So when that happened on the French wine, the blind taste test, was that a Sauvignon? It was actually, it was Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay. And Chardonnay. And both wine. In what year was that? 70s? 74? 73? So that's what put Napa on the map. we need to know that. That put Napa on the map. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I mean, I was born in 89. So, like, I don't, what are you laughing at, Caroline? What are you laughing at? You were born in 89? (laughs) You're in your 40s. No, I I just say (laughs) that. My mouth isn't good, but it's better than that. (laughs) Okay, so this is the Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Franc. 100%. What is Cabernet? Like, I know what a Cabernet is, but not wine speaking. I know it like the, you know, Cabernet, or that's Cabaret. Cabernet is just the word that goes with grape. It is the grape 
type. It is the grape species. Cabernet Franc is entirely different from Cabernet Sauvignon, even though they share the first yeah. name. So is that the only way that you use Cabernet is, is with a grape? Is that where it comes from? Is that grape? I think so. Is I that, assume is, so, because it's, it's a color too, but I'm sure that color probably comes from the grape. It's a color. I think, I think that That's in, in a is. Pantone book, there's probably a Cabernet somewhere along the lines. Because the but, wine was that color. So you right. can again see the colors here that, you know, garnet, ruby, do you have a favorite, Jeffrey, of your wines? Um, God, it smells I'm kinda, good, it's, too. It's, it's split between the Cabernet Franc and the Merlot. Um, probably leaning towards the Merlot. Um, this is our first year producing it. We did do one other year in 2014 in the Cabernet Franc, which really got me excited about it. Um, but, yeah, it's probably the Merlot. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah, Justin Timberlake. Where are you at, boy? <laughs> well, I'm going to try this one. Call us, Justin. We'll get you some wine. Yeah, Justin. Hey, JT. <laughs> Man, it smells good too, but I'm telling you straight up, Caroline, that does not have the same aromas as the Merlot. The totally Merlot different. has got it. The it's, Merlot has it, got this it. This is herbal. It's, you know, more earthy and. Who knew that a duck hunting show would bring me. <laughs> You're expanding your I know. Your I feel horizon. so sophisticated. Yeah. I feel so Learning sophisticated. Learning how to swirl. I'm usually, I'm usually drinking moonshine around a fire in Arkansas. <laughs> and here I am in the Napa That's Valley. That's a experience, too, though. Oh, dude. You need to come to Arkansas. Yeah. Right? You're more than welcome. Yeah. We bring wine down there. They drink wine with dinner down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not sure. sure. A little moonshine, a little... I know you're going to ask yourself what he's doing. Yeah, this is quite a contraption we've this, got here. This is a lens that oh we have God. now. We're not going to say what it is, <laughs> but I'm going to show you guys a picture of an eyeball, a human eyeball that we, his eyeball we took with this lens, and it will freak you out what's going on in the eyeball. That's crazy. It's crazy how, what, how detailed this is right here. I'm going to have one of these. Yeah, keep going. This is a Welch's. We got the cheese there to eat. I like this one, but I like the Merlot better. It's funny. So since we've released them and, you know, the few people we've been able to see and tasting throughout the fall, um, it's almost a 50-50 split, but the group goes one way or the other, it seems. like As they, a table. As a table, they love the Merlot or they love the Cabernet Franc. Um Man, it's good too. It's just I'm, I'm, it's, the Merlot's my favorite so far, though. You know, it's the day of the week. What are you yeah. feeling? What are you eating? It is Thursday right now. Yeah. Mm. What, <laughs> what have you been doing? Tyson, you should cut up some salami there, bro. We're eating salami, drinking vino rosso, mira miki, amici, <laughs> mio parli italiano e uh, poco pochino. Stasera, which is tonight. Mm -hmm. You speak Italian? Uh, un po. Un pochino, poco, poco. <laughs> but Nona, it's oh, yeah. like, a lot of like, Oh, shit. More pasta, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I will eat what you're serving. That's what I've learned at the party. First step I took in your house, Ray yeah. standing there, he's like, You like anchovies? I'm like, I've never been asked that, like in the kitchen. <laughs> I go, Yeah. Do you, have you had that anchovy dish that was on? Coppola's was this for menu? Lunch? No, no. Coppola put it on menu in three of his restaurants. No. Stefano helped him get it in the one here. On Coppola's menu, it's called Nona's 
Yeah. Um, anchovies. Mm. And it's basil, garlic, Napa Valley olive oil. Anchovies go in there for three days, and it just kind of pickles it, yeah. marinates in there, and then they're good forever. They take it, and they put on a little bit of a really, really good sourdough. I bit into it, and I'm like, what the freak? Yeah. Anchovies are one of those foods that will take you, when done right, they are next level. But they are a maturity deal, right? Like, Oh, yeah. There's it's not, love it or hate it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was telling them is that there's not a lot of 10-year-old kids eating anchovies. No, 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 no. Their even, kids are. Even 20. <laughs> even 20, you're not eating a lot of yeah. anchovies. Well, they're also scary to look at. They're not I pretty. Love, I love them, though. On well. Caesar salads, I love them on yeah. pizza. Like, that sounds oh, weird. Pe- no, I love them on pizza. Do you really? Oh, my God. That's my favorite uh, way to eat them, probably. Oh. Uh, Oh my gosh, I love anchovies on pizza. Yeah. yeah. I learned that in Italy. Yeah. I learned that on the island of Sardinia. I'm like, they're putting anchovies on pizza. And I started doing it. I'm like, I'm You've in. been to Sardinia? Yeah, a hundred oh. times. A lot. Mm, More of Vera. That's right where we went south. on our honeymoon. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've been all over Costa Ray, all over oh. the southern tip. We didn't do the south. We did Uncle like Romulo. the middle and the top. Uncle Romolo's sailboat down there, spear fishing in the Mediterranean, oh right my above God. freaking Sicily. Oh, I'm gonna have to pick your brain on that. Oh, like uh, I could sh- I could introduce you to so many people, but you saw the outbreak just hit Sardinia. Yeah, I don't think we're going for a while, but uh, when it, we're allowed to travel again, I would be all about that. It. Yeah, the Amalfi Coast, and then the boat ride over to freaking Sardinia is oh. like, oh, please bring me back there. I could. It's a good swim. life they've got going on over there. Oh my gosh, it's like the most non-stressful. Even doctors like, eh, it's about. It's almost noon. I'm going to take a nap. They're a blue zone too, aren't they? They're considered a blue zone. Their their people are living longer than anyone else. They're healthier. Yeah. And they all smoke and drink wine every night. And they eat ice cream every night at midnight. I'm like, but they take a nap. They (laughs) sleep. They take a walk. It shows you how healthy walking and sleeping is. And low stress. Like No stress. Every day, you know, is... Stress has got to be the number one killer in the world. Oh, yeah. For sure. It just takes over your mind. And like those in Italy, you're just like... God, I want to just live here because it's, they could be the busiest store in the world and they're just like, Close. <laughs> See, <laughs> go to sleep. It's awesome. So did you already pour our last one? I did. Cabernet Sauvignon. So walk them through this one, Carolyn. All right. So 2017 Cabernet Sauvignon. This is what made up 50% of our blend. It is 100% sourced from Shiflet Ranch and Vineyards in this vintage. First time making a Cab Sauv. Um, I think like Jeffrey mentioned we did kind of want to stand behind Merlot and Cabernet Franc because that's not necessarily what everyone else's Napa is doing. But then we figure everyone else in Napa is making the Cabernet. It's known for um, known for Cabernet in this region. So why not try our hand at it? And I think Jeffrey has sh- struck an amazing balance here once again. Like it has 50% new oak around there. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a bump up in tannin structure. Um, and a, a bit more powerful, but still super approachable. Something that you can absolutely drink now, not something you need to wait 20 years before it becomes something that's even remotely drinkable. Trying to keep our wines on the lower alcohol side, just so that they are fruity and fresh and um, something that you can drink a whole bottle of and not you know, feel terrible the next day. Um, and I love that about this. I mean, you know, I think Napa Cabernet is... Definitely something special, and I think ours is is a nuance um, to what's being offered out there. Carolyn, let me ask you this as a woman wine drinker. Take away the ownership. Take away the knowledge that you have of the business. The mood part of wine selection. You've mentioned it to me before. Like, What kind of mood are you in? Stressful day. 
anxiety is at an all-time high. Anxiety can become a problem if you let it, but anxiety is real. Like you can get anxiety just like knowing that you're going to have... The mind is a crazy thing. It's crazy, right? It's <laughs> yeah. so like crazy of what our head, our brains and our minds go through. Yeah. What, when it comes to mood, I know that you can pick different... I Like you could be like, oh, I want Neapolitan, I want mint chocolate chip. Like, but you can't really describe to somebody why you picked mint chocolate chip based on the mood. Can you with wine? Uh, I, I would actually think it's pretty similar to, you know choosing ice cream it's like what are you feeling in that moment but, and that's tied to mood like maybe today i want a fruitier ice cream versus a more basic chocolate chip or whatever you know so like, a hot summer day you're probably like well i don't want rocky road and all that heavy chocolate sure i'm gonna go with a strawberry sorbet yeah but yeah. that's more based on the weather sure but i think that, so you know i don't know whatever's going on for you that day like i don't think i pick wine based on today was a really hard day so i needed like high alcohol, strong wine to get me through. Like I, I see all wine kind of as a similar enjoyment factor. And it's more just like, do I want something a little lighter tonight? Am I going to eat it with food? Do I just want a glass before dinner? Am I in a pool? Cause then I definitely want rosé. Oh, I love that. Oh, really? <laughs> see, now you don't drink rosé, do you? I can't. Are you serious, Jeff? <laughs> rosé? I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. Are you for real? <laughs> sure. When is the rosé coming out? Actually. Uh, that big 30 gallon keg over there next year. Really? Yeah. Oh my well, gosh. this year, yeah. And I we'll forced him to, uh, to try his hand at a rosé this year because that's what I want to drink And that's going to be more pinkish, reddish it's, in color, It's a right? beautiful salmon pink. Salmon pink. Yeah, it's made from our Cabernet uh, Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. Correct. Um, so it's when we harvest the grapes, same grapes that are going into our 2020 blend, we bleed off some of the initial juice just so that there's a more concentration of the seeds and the skins with the juice for what we want to go through fermentation as a whole for the red. Um, so we initially bleed it off and he was going to dump it. And I said, no, 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 you, you do something with that. Look I at like rosé. You, <laughs> you can drink pink. Well, I can do. Hey, look, if you can do it, I can do you it. You can try you're, it. you're a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting I'm on a floaty in the pool, you got to drink a little something. Okay. Well, truth be told. You have a two, nice pool. Two, <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah. It's pretty legit. You guys are more welcome. <laughs> if, truth be told, I don't think I've ever drank wine in a pool. What? Swear on my life. That is probably I, my favorite place to drink wine. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, here's the deal. This summer, I turned into a total... You were inside with the AC? No. no. <laughs> I never got out of my pool COVID. Oh, okay. don't, don't say uh, White Claws. Oh, my God. You just guessed it. <laughs> but... That's not the right brand. Oh. Bud Light Seltzer. Okay. Yeah. I felt like a dork to where like I was like, <laughs> I'm drinking a blackberry seltzer again. And now I got a strawberry seltzer. And I had to like check myself. I would like be like, what is going on? Like Bud Light but or there's a Bush time Light. Place. It, no, but all beer became that. obsolete to me. Yeah. All beer became obsolete to me. I think not until duck season I had a real beer. All summer I drank freaking seltzers. And they took the world by storm. They oh, sure yeah. did. Like crazy. Yeah. Like the sales. If only we could have predicted number that. one competition in the wine for the wine industry. Yeah. Because truly the, White Claw, yeah. Corona's got them. Michelob Ultra just introduced Everyone's the wine. Everyone's going to come Light's out with their version. And wineries probably will too at some point start making some. Yeah, canned. I mean, canned wine has become popular in the past few years anyways. Canned but kind of sparks, you know, slightly I'll tell sparkling you wines. Good. You guys got to try this. I'm going to... Uh, California is one of the only states that has them. I just learned this from Jack Daniels. 
country cocktails. Mm. Honey, canned? No. Yes. Canned Jack and Cokes. It's Jack and Soda. Amazing. Yeah. 8%. And then they got a honey-touched lemonade with mm. the, ja- the Honey Jack with lemonade. So it's like an Arnold Palmer kind of. Did you you drank them? They're incredible, yeah. huh? I saw some of those when I was where I where it did four months in a harvest down in Australia, and they had a lot of those canned cocktails. That's what they were telling me is that New Zealand and Australia they got yeah. a ton of them down there for yeah. Jack Daniels. Hmm. 177 countries Jack Daniels is sold in. Wow, isn't that crazy? It's so. I was talking to the part of Chili's with that about that today about how how many countries. It's liquor. a household name. Well. Not just Jack, but I'm talking about spirits as a whole. Like you think about the socializing of wine or spirits or beer, whatever. It's as long as what Caroline touched on before is the moderation and being responsible. It's such a good time yeah. if you do it right. Yeah. And I think that coming to this part of the country, and we'll end it by talking about how special it is to be up at grandma's house today, looking out over that property and looking out over this valley. And what we take for granted is the dirt that we're standing on. We always say, I'm so happy that I'm on this side of the dirt. But everything that we put into our bodies on this side of the dirt comes from the other side of the dirt. The beef that we eat is only tasting good because of what comes from the other side of the dirt. Yeah. The grapes come from the other side. Of the, isn't that a, it's a weird deal. Like the other side of the dirt is thought of as death and being in a grave and being buried, depending on your spirit, spirituality or your religion or whatever you believe in. I don't question any of that, but isn't that weird how, how much life comes from that dirt when it's thought of like, that's not it's where, where we're going to get buried. We don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. right? We don't want to be there, but that's where life begins for so many, whether it's an almond or a walnut or a cashew or a peanut or a, everything's grown from the dirt. It yeah. all comes from the dirt. So it's always weird to me. Like we die in the dirt. We go in the dirt when we die, unless we're cremated. And then we go, I guess on the dirt. Like, well, <laughs> I have to see. Have to see. <laughs> go somewhere else after that. You know, it's just, I, I love the, what socializing means with, if you do it right and you don't let it overtake your, your psyche or you, you don't need it to control, you know, your anxiety or your depression or yeah. your, your thought process, or whatever. I just love being around friends and gatherings and socializing. You mentioned the pool. A lot of people, and I won't say that 2020 was not weird because it was weird. <laughs> but what it did for me is that I travel 300 days a year almost trying to build banded or, or, you know, work on these brands that we've started or help build these brands or whatever it is. And I stayed home. I have not been on an airplane since I flew back from spring training on March 19th, 2020. Uh-huh. I usually am on so many flights a year going here, going there. Okay. Um, we're usually driving thousands of miles. We're just coming over the Sierras into the Chico Valley to hunt ducks. But what it did for me is like my daughter, my relationship with my friends, my all of the gatherings we were allowed to have right there. It reminded me of that, my roots, yeah, of where I'm supposed you back to be. And centers you. Gary Allen had family. a song of right, right where I'm supposed. to. Gary Allen's a stud country singer, but right where I'm supposed to be. He had a song about like that, and I never really understood what he was saying until I was like, holy shit, yeah. I don't need to chase the dream all the time. The dream is right here. And we did it with socializing and good wines and good friends and all of that. It's just a, it's a cool concept of what COVID really taught me this year. Of course. I mean, if there's anything we can take, any silver linings, it's that we can, you know, we can do more with less. 
and we can really, you know, count on what's important to us and, and making sure that we keep those values close to us and yeah, slowing down and I think doing less is, I, I was on an airplane, I was coming back to Napa every two to three weeks. Um, and I haven't been on an airplane either, so it's definitely. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, it's a I nice don't change. miss it. I just drive the tractor. I don't fly anywhere. <laughs> no, you know, I would do that hard. If I never have to stand in a TSE pre-check yeah, on again. It, I don't miss that. That's I don't sure. take any of it for granted. I love it. We talk about Louis C.K. all the time about cell phones when we don't have reception and stuff. And if there's a Louis C.K. skit about you're flying in the plane and you lose Wi-Fi signal and you get all pissed off. You're like, <laughs> we have it good. Yeah. We truly have it good right now. Right now, us three could FaceTime three different people and in see our kids, see our family, three different countries. I mean, it's amazing what it we're living amazing. in right now. Yeah. We're very lucky and fortunate, but also moderation. Yeah. Looking at this thing too much like he does. Like, look at him. Like he's going, he's 22, he's almost blind. And what he's doing, he's looking at this thing called Tinder or something. <laughs> but it is amazing how much time we spend on these things. Yeah. They do get us through. Don't get me wrong. I'm just as much to, as to blame. I'm like updating social media, emails. Now I'm looking at texts. Now I'm looking at the weather forecast. Yeah. You wonder why we're going blind when you're always looking at this four-inch screen, right? Yeah. I just think that everything in moderation, like we have to get back to this. Like yeah. back to the land, what back I, to the family, friends. And conversing. What I yeah. love about podcasting, Caroline and Jeffrey, is that we don't talk enough anymore. As a as a as a community, as a social yeah. Don't network, call me, send me a text. My mom will text me and say I love you. And I'll text <laughs> my mom and say I love you. That is so effed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so messed up. Like yeah. It's like, take the freaking time to pick up the phone. Like when I was a kid, and I know that I'm older than you two, I would dial a phone once in a while. <laughs> I and still know Stefano's home phone number. I know all of my <laughs> old phone numbers. call and say, hey, Mrs. Paricelli, is Stefano there? It's the best. <laughs> like, what happened to the times to where you would actually sit across a table and have a conversation? You walk into any restaurant that we go to, and you look at our table, it's embarrassing. Yeah. We're not sitting there talking or catching up or being friends or learning about each other. We're wondering how many likes we got. We're right. wondering what's the next step we need to take to make these brands better. It's kind of sad. It is sad. Moderation is key. Balance is key. It's okay to do that. But it ain't going to get you anywhere in the long run. The only thing that's going to get you somewhere are the memories, the stories that right. are being told, and the association the with friends and family, the experiences. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And that's what this last taste is doing for us. All right. Well, I hope there's a bottle of wine I talk too in much. those experiences. Yes. This is, this was the Cabernet Sauvignon. Correct. This is, can I say the price? Yeah. $100 per bottle. Correct. Worth every penny. And multiple bottles in one night has happened to me once. This <laughs> In the last couple you months. You live to tell the tale. Yeah, you live to tell the tale. Oh, I like that. Live to tell the tale. I like this one. You're still here. Breathe it in. Well, cheers. Thank you, Chad. Yeah, we really thank you appreciate so much for having us. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Man. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Salute. Hunter Glen Wineries at HunterGlen.com. On Instagram at HG Estate. <clears throat> Jeffrey and Caroline are going to do it. They're doing it. 100 cases to 750 their goal is 10,000 I think they're probably going to do more than that because this stuff is extraordinary it tastes good Tyson you like the taste of it well, I haven't tried the cabin, but yeah. oh, oh you better come get <laughs> some <laughs> hey Tinder baby you like that one <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Today's awesome. episode of this Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, Jack Daniels, enjoy it responsibly, never allow underage drinking, and please support the partners and sponsors that support us, and that's why we are working with Hunter Glen Wineries, Vineyards, The Grapes, Jeffrey, his sister Caroline. They are awesome. Salt of the earth people. They care about their friends and family. They care about their country. They care about their community. We're all going to work together to become unified, to be happy together. Sit down, have a conversation with somebody, get to know them over a glass of HG Hunter Glen wine. I prefer the Merlot, but now I'm becoming a little bit of a Chardonnay snob. Hey, I'm a white wine the guy. Porch pounder. Next week, we are going to have a dinner that you're going to see on the Foul Life Instagram stories. I hope Jeffrey makes it up. I hope Caroline and her husband make it up. But we are going to be doing speckle belly geese and rabbits with the Particelli family from Napa Valley Olive Oil Company. It's going to be an amazing dinner. I absolutely love eating rabbit. And when I told Nona that I needed some rabbits, she looked at me and said, no problemo. (laughs) And I loved it. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This song is called What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do? When the money's all gone